Welcome to LOI Central. Coming direct from the engine room, it's two danger men in your box, Dan and Johnny. So welcome along. We've only three shows left in the season. It's hard to believe, but there's still so much to talk about. The playoffs, UCD versus Watford, Argyle United, Shamrock Rovers are champions. Still a bit of a battle on something of a battle anyway for second place but it pretty much uh, looks like the rest is decided up until the cup final which will of course then dictate who gets into Europe uh, next season this is Johnny Ward uh, in association with Dan McDonald as ever in association with Dan McDonald and we are in association this week with Malone Financial Services thanks as ever to Chris for his continued support this season Future Ticketing um, who've been our sponsor since the start of last season unfortunately not doing the cup final but that's for another day we're also in association with Porterhouse Brewery and we've more beers to give away uh, this week and uh, so yeah we've uh, plenty to talk about and on the show today also collar and cuff Johnny collar and cuff oh my god I mean, actually you typically you haven't worn the blazer for a week and you've just forgotten about them <laughs> Um, I saw somebody recently in randomly in the streets, and I just started calling them Alfie Moon. It's just it's imprinted in my mind. Color and cup. Well, I mean, it is awards season. I saw them posting up something of the All Stars, um, the All Stars, uh, some of the All Star players going there, and I presume the the PFA I awards are coming up. I think the teams and the the player shortlists are coming out next week, and we'll probably have some of that on the show, um, on next week's show. But of course, yeah, if anyone goes to see Jackie in Glasnevin, mentions the LOI Central podcast, you get a free shirt and tie if you need it. A lot of people don't go without, don't really go with the tie option now, Johnny. But if you want that, you can uh, mention LOI Central if you're you're going on the award on the award circuit. But yeah, on today's show, we do have a bit of Andy Boyle audio. I spoke to him after the Dock qualified for Europe last week. Uh, you've managed to pill for a few words from uh, John Caulfield's press conference after the Longford game on Sunday. And later on, we'll also hear from Sean O'Shea, uh, candidate for the Bowes job, um, but also someone who's worked in Sweden um, and therefore can talk a little bit, a little bit about Swedish football because I mean, Shamrock Rovers have sort of conquered everything they want to conquer at home, well, apart from the FBI Cup, I suppose. But in terms of the league, they've done all they can, but they still have a group stage game against Jura Garden on Thursday. So Sean will talk a bit about that and a bit about how he came to be interested in the Bowes job and why he still wants to work in Ireland again. Yeah, um, we uh, we are remote this week. Uh, this will be the last one. The next two weeks we'll be back in person and to conclude um, the season. Just to recap, I guess the place to start... Um, Congratulations, Shamrock Rovers and all that, even though that was signed, sealed and delivered uh, before Sunday. But on, on Thursday, I thought they did restore quite a bit of pride in terms of their own European performances against Ghent. Um, could have won the game. In the end, we're probably holding on, well, we're holding on for a draw after uh, Justin Fergie got sent off. But um, this was much more like it, Dan. Kind of more like what I expected Rovers to be like in Europe. And to be fair, they've put a couple of good performances, maybe even three good performances together in the group stages at home. They've been good at home in general, really good at home in Europe. Um, and this was much more like it. Rory Gaffney among the goals. Yeah, no, like I mean, they 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 took the early chance that they created. I suppose they had one against Molda after three minutes that Aaron Green missed, um, and at this time they 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 scored. Um, and yeah, I mean, they they could have won the game. In saying that, like Stephen Bradley felt the performance wasn't as good as the, the other two home games. And to be honest, like I mean, they were hanging in there for 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 periods. While also, 
been very comfortable in that period after half time where I thought they'd, they'd ridden the storm, really. Um, despite losing Watts, despite losing McCann, but that caught up with them. Fairside was about to be substituted when he got the second yellow. Um, the real issue for him was getting a yellow within 30 seconds of coming on the pitch. And it's the I old chest, watch- like, I'll get away with it. It'll be grand. Like, yeah. And I did watch the game back, and he did get away with another one that you can sort of see the ref probably said. Well, I still felt it was a little bit harsh. It wasn't harsh in the context of mm. um, previous fouls. So um, they scored a goal. A they scored a goal. Imagine if they'd gone through the whole groups without scoring. I would have been grim. I mean, I suppose, but funny, like, isn't funny just like football? Sorry, is just a funny game. I mean, if 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 Shamrock Rovers were playing Rangers, I mean that would obviously be a very interesting game. <laughs> um, but we would be talking about the, the Rangers. For a goal. The Rangers disparate. No, but like Rangers, you would expect would comfortably defeat Shamrock Rovers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Rangers got the Europa League final last year. If Shamrock Rovers were playing against Rangers, notwithstanding the uh, the the tension that would be around it, I think most people would reasonably say, listen. It's going to be very hard to compete with this club with what I think is a 23 million wage bill or something like that. Like Molda, I think, is 12. But but like Rangers are getting pummeled in the Champions League, you know, absolutely pummeled. And they're almost having a discussion there, I think, about would they have been better off not winning the playoff and, and playing PSV, so against PSV and, and, and playing in the Europa League. And it's one of those things I was, again, I was talking with someone recently about um, the dog Legia Warsaw, that game in 2016. Like, was it better for their legacy? Oh, totally, totally. That they lost that. That they lost that tie. Totally. Uh, but they would have got twenty five million for <laughs> the Champions League. Like so, uh, but yeah, what what would it have done to them if they'd been opened up like and conceded five or six in a couple of games rather than being involved? So because they looked like, after their money very well, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, they did. It's like, hey, who's this? Is this Uncle Sam? Um, <laughs> although in fairness, the the, the accounts of um. The accounts have subsequently come out. I mean, the FBI didn't mind their money for a period of time, as we also know. It was just resting on their account. But the uh, the the the, the dog, it did actually as much as they wasted a lot of money. Uh, it was proven recently that uh, the peak six were effectively, I think they were effectively guilted into um, leaving without sort of saddling the club with a lot of debt. While I still believe that there's various bills that the that that needed to be dealt with after they left. Um, they did generally hand the, they handed the club over. Well, it was the, the, they took away the big bill, obviously. But like you know, they, 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 the takeover was was clean enough in some respects, albeit mm. leaving the club sort of almost back to square one. But it didn't leave them with um, you know sort of a a Cork City sort of a sort of situation back in the day. And getting back uh, to the point, know. yeah, the, the Conference League is, like, it's it, it, your gardens were the bottom seed and they're running away with the group. Rovers actually obviously got a draw against them. It's been, it's been, it's it's the level that Rovers are are at at the moment. Um, and forget about, like, Champions League when you see the difference. So that's where we're at and Rovers yeah, finally and got think, a goal. And I think they, they got a goal. I think they've acknowledged that they're probably going to freshen up things. Mm. They need to freshen up things in the attacking department. I think, that's going to be probably the story of their winter. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Rovers bring in uh, two strikers. Um, people can su- subscribe to my newsletter. I did uh, talk about some of the, uh, the, the the transfer equation in the league last Friday. Obviously, the the big chat around football in, in the league at the moment is around Aidan Keena and Shamrock Rovers. Um, will Shamrock Rovers uh, try and buy Aidan Keena? 
Um, I think they're interested. I think they will try if they haven't already tried. Um, but I got the impression that Sligo Rovers are under no pressure to sell. He's got two years left in his deal. Um, my information would be he is a clause for um, English and Scottish clubs, not for Irish ones. Um, when you see, I mean, this is a big thing for fans to notice. Like when you see a, a player in the league signing a, a, a contract, and it's a little bit of a surprise that he signed it uh, when he did. Like it's a, it's a hot young talent, and he's uh, he's signed himself up to a club for a couple of extra years, and there's a contract announcement. You just have to generally assume that there's a clause in there, mm. which actually means that this is almost making things more straightforward for him to go. I think Ryan O'Kane's contract with Dundalk would be a, a good recent example of that. Um, but the uh, Keenan one. Uh, doesn't, I believe, have a clause for League of Ireland club, which means that effectively it becomes something that we don't really have in this league very often, um, where there's a you know a club comes in with bids and decides how far they want to go. And I was certainly given the impression that Sligo Rovers have no intention of, of selling. So this may be a complete non-story that goes nowhere. Nice bit um, of work, Sligo Rovers. But, nice bit of work, but, Liam Buckley, to bring to the club in the first place. Yeah, and I mean, if Sligo Rovers hadn't made 850 grand in Europe this year with Aidan Keane as goals responsible, as well as Ed McGinty's saves, um, you know, for for um, a good portion of that, then maybe the idea of, um, say, 100 grand for a player, um, like they, they probably couldn't turn it down. But they can turn it down now, I think. And I think their priority is probably trying to get back to Europe. So why would you sell your best player? But I think anyway, I think with Shamrock Rovers, you're probably going to expect that, that this is where their business is going to be centred around. Do you think Bert's going to go? Um, well, Bert has been, I think he's been linked with Sligo Rovers. I think um, Derry City as well. I, I think, um, I, I feel that if Bert doesn't go to the UK, just... Um, Knowing so many people around him, they'd probably be keen on him to go to the UK. But I think that seems to be his uh, inference. But I'd be surprised if he didn't end up in Tala. I, I think some of the other stuff about him and other clubs, I don't know, is this to 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 drive up a little bit more of a of a bargain? I I, I don't know what 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 really is the scenario is there. But I mean, Shamrock Rovers do need a player like Bert. Colin Whelan's another name to mention. He's obviously injured. He was due to go, I think, to Lincoln in the summer or go to an English club in the summer. Then he did his cruciate. Um, so he's missed all of this season. That's actually you know, good. Yeah, could, could he could he go straight to could he go straight to the UK now? I think there'll probably be outgoings. I think Amaku, my prediction about Amaku being sold would probably come to pass. I think over the winter. I know. Um, I know Millwall were in for him a bit in the summer. I'd expect that, do, that does surprise me because I just I'd don't, expect I just, they'll I'd expect they'll come in for him again. Well, it doesn't surprise me at all for the reasons I said. I mean, mm. people will look at Ireland, look at a, an 18, 19 year old player with potential. Mm. They will see that he's got flaws, but they will think we can work with him. Work on it, yeah. So, like, I mean, like you have a situation at the moment where, say, you know, Sinclair Armstrong is now starting to sort of hit the ground at mm. QPR a, a couple of years after leaving Shamrock Rovers. Where probably Shamrock Rovers, I'm not sure if they thought. At that stage, he was say ready to play for them uh, as much as they dropped him in a couple of times. Like this, this is the thing. So um, I, I'd say Matthew may may well go, um, and we'll see what happens. Aaron Green and a few others, but they do have. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they signed like two, at least two attacking players, and they'd probably. I mean, Patterson, Phoenix Patterson is another one that could have gone there in the summer, but um, there would be a feeling that the Fleetwood might be where he ends up if and they uh, if they're so inclined. Right. Yeah, he's under contract to Waterford, so yeah. there's, there's no there's no pressure from Waterford's end if they go up. So I think the Rovers, um, they probably acknowledge that's where they need to strengthen. 
um, as much as I mean, a, everyone can always find areas of the squad they need to strengthen. But I think that's going to be they're going to be some of the stories to watch in the, the coming the, weeks. We'll get to Dundalk and the big the second biggest story was Dundalk, I guess, here in Europe. But Finn Harps got relegated, and um, I confidently predicted that UCD would finish bottom on the premise that they were going to lose Whelan and Kerrigan. Um, which Me too. yeah, yeah. kind of didn't yeah. didn't happen. Tommy Lonergan came out of nowhere and has just scored a hatful of goals. I, I really think, like, tried to get Andy Myler on today. Um, he's been evasive all year in the base that he actually has a job and he could have come on Zoom, but he said, I'm keeping a low profile, which is fair enough. Um, they know that the job is only half done. This is an amazing achievement, Dan, because they, uh, I know Harps had a poor season. They were really, really poor, apparently, on Friday. And um, there's a lot of criticism of the performances of the players. But UCD, to, to like UCD actually did put a bit of a run together. Beat Dundalk at home as well, you remember. Um, a hell of an achievement regardless of what happens in the playoff to, to finish second last. And I think Andy Myler has gone up in a lot of people's estimation as a manager. Yeah. Um, and I think Karen pulled up with him with us. And, and he was one of the first, wasn't he, to predict that UCD would would get out of trouble mm. and, and there was others as well and um, yeah I mean I think for them it's a terrific story um, for the reasons you mentioned I thought they would definitely finish bottom um, with Wheeler and Carrigan going but what they've proven to be is probably a united bunch of players who train together every day who live at each other's pockets a lot of time as they do they and they've just... improved as the season goes on Finn Harps like it's not really that case. Like, is they, this the end of that model then? In the, is this the end of this? Like you know, throw kind of a squad together as best you can without really a lot of players coming through underage with a sort of a part-time setup and stay up. I'm not sure if it's the end of the model because that's the way a lot of the first division clubs operate. I mean, they will have players, you know, you know, commuting, you know, working out sort of individual arrangement arrangements in some cases about training, um, and you know, a, a manager just concerned about like I just have to get this team on the pitch and if I have to accept because of our location that maybe there'll have to be quirky arrangements with individual players um, I don't think that I think that it can work if you've got weaker teams than you but mm. um, it's a clear weakness when you are suddenly against other teams who are doing things in a much more professional way and with Harps it just they ran out of road with doing things that way um, and they just weren't able to sign the divide players, divide characters. Invariably, they might bring in players like they did uncover gems, but then you know they'd often be sort of taken elsewhere. You know, Owl Abbey was a great signing um, for for Harps. Now he's not necessarily playing regularly at Pats, but of course he was taken there. And um, yeah, I I don't know how they how they rebrand as such. You know, uh, where Ollie Horgan stands. Um, you know the, the the stadium is obviously the big thing around the, where the club's going. I know that they they are, they are competitive in the underage field. You know I think they're very invested in trying to win, and the underage levels. Um, will that create for them um a supply line of players to come through into their first team in a couple of years? We'll see. There's always that gap between underage and and senior. Um, but they couldn't function as they were, and um. You know, they, they they probably were the right team to get relegated on balance if you're trying to do things that way. Um, but um, it's a club that sort of I think a lot of people have a lot of affection for. We we had Aiden McNeilis on there a couple of weeks ago. They had the draw last week. They had a happy winner of the draw. I see 
and it's a shame that it's coincided with them going. I thought down. when I got the email, like we'd won. I was like, oh yes, there's they'd only I'm sure they'd only be emailing you if you won. No. Well we have done with that uh, 20 grand, you know, you know, um, you know. But um even yeah, a father's so, head and the, the the dollars up in the air, like you know, Las Vegas and so on. Tony yeah, we'd, we'd yeah. probably end up losing it. Um, um but um yeah, we're we're like we're sad to see them go, but I suppose who knows what the first division will be like next year. Will we go Cronin to John Caulfield now well, so we can discuss the playoff? Well, no, no. Well, I was just say, like, Gary Cronin has, has left Longford, we should yeah. say. Um, and I think... Um, Longford's I model, know. it's going to be difficult for them to get funding. It's going to be... You say if Watford's or Galway go up... A lot of people in the a lot of people in the league think Galway or Watford will win if they beat the other. They'll beat UCD. And so the first division takes on a different makeup next season, Dan. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, like one of those teams, or maybe two of those teams, will still be there. Um, but Longford, yeah, I think. I mean, Gary Cronin. Um, I think you know his own ambitions probably to 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 work full time um, have led to his exit in the sense that it's very hard, I think, to commit to that level mm. if you're a club that is going to have a modest budget, you know, and like you're going to get like you'll have managers and you'll have players who'll commit for a certain amount of time, but. Mm only for so long you know and, and you sort of um, you, you can't keep hold of them and if if people are seeing the league moving towards more of a full-time model there's a question of how these clubs are, are going to expect to compete even in the first division yep. um, by doing things the way they used to do it um, you know 10-15 years ago it's probably not going to work you even saw Tony Richardson and Bray talking about being full-time by 2024 and it's not just that they've been full-time I know people get annoyed by that it's not just about like saying to everyone yeah we're full time we're going to train in the mornings but clearly it's more about um, you know paying the year round paying in pre-season um, you know sort of treating your players in such a way that you can get a buy-in from them that might make them commit to your club for longer um, because there is now stuff coming in with the minimum wage it's going to be a full-time minimum wage a part-time minimum wage um, so clubs probably can't cut corners in the way that they used to um, and that's that's obviously quite demanding of clubs. And I think there's a feeling that some changes from from some people say this has been brought in too quickly. But it's certainly going to really sort out um, the packing order of clubs pretty quickly. And and clubs who try and do things really on the cheap are going to find it increasingly harder. And I think that's why for a club like Harps coming down into the first division, um, they'll obviously still be probably starting off with a stronger base than a lot of the clubs there. But um, they're really going to have to look at the starting grid and see who's there with them next year and, and figure out, you know, what's what's viable for them yeah. uh, in the short term. But as you say, Waterford Galway is the big game on Friday. Someone in the mailbag said it would be 27 seconds before we talked about Galway. A bit longer than that, it must be said. But we have a small bit of John Caulfield here after the win against Longford on Sunday talking about Waterford and their squad and their investment. Yeah, obviously, and, you know, we know Waterford, you know, invested heavy... Um, at the break, and um, you know, they brought in Alex Baptiste, you know, very experienced player for Bolton, uh, brought Subuana, um, brought the boy up top. So, um, they invested really well, and that's what you want in Irish football. You want um, set of people knocking clubs that are trying to put money in and go full time and have a proper industry here. You know, I welcome, you know, uh, Ward for what they're doing, and um, obviously. You know, we're hoping Friday night we can put a strong performance, but you know, taking over my fleet with town with a strong English, English influence, um, English manager, you know, Bastis, Taylor, 
Osim, Junior, Patterson, a lot of English players with a lot of experience, and um, you know they they got the cup semi final for a reason, and had a, had a you know had a, had a really a big win over over three to two games, created lots of chances. So we know how good they are, and how difficult, but at the same time, um, you know we'll work hard during the week and we we'll prepare for the match. Yeah, and just when Harps come into a division, they've come into a division that had really good crowds this season, Dan, overall. Um, Galway-Watford have been two of the big teams. Galway's average crowd is over 2,000 for the league. Really hell of an achievement, considering the football isn't particularly attractive. Um, but John Caulfield, it looked like they were going um, really, really poor form into the playoffs. But a win is a win, and they've scored eight in their last three now, Galway United. Um, this Watford game, Dan, it's a clash of styles. Watford... I don't know. I mean, they got the job done against 3D. I'd still fancy them to win. Markets Field is a bit of an odd place for this game because it's like you have one sort of midland-sized stand and the rest of the ground is a bit of a mishmash. Um, how many will travel? I'd say there might be 1,500, 2,000 at the game, at a guess. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how it's going to go, but we go in there with a chance. Yeah, like Waterford. Um, I mean, it's really very bizarre that Waterford, like, did they just get complacent to end up 3 1 down? I mean, Treaty, I mean, if they, again, Tommy Barrett and his team emerged with credit, you know, that, that they clearly, they almost went there like uh, Ireland going to Paris in 2009 or something, and were like, they've lost at home, albeit on a much more spectacular uh, margin, and just said, let's, let's just do this. And like, did Waterford just mentally switch off? And I think that's the little thing about Waterford. Right, the little question mark you would have is that on paper and on form, you're thinking they should win, they should go up. But they've frozen in the semi-final against Shells. Mm. They've switched off um, against Treaty in such a way that it could have been really costly if Treaty had been able to sort of somehow, you know, um, hold on. So there's that little bit niggle up there saying, everyone's sort of expecting you to go up Waterford. They've sort of been anointed as the, the team that's going to go up. And that just brings a certain uh, pressure now that, that might just give you Galwegians a little bit of encouragement. And John Caulfield's there, happy to be the underdog here, even though I mean, Galway have, have um, you know, Galway have spent extensively too. So um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was cocksure Waterford would go up. But I'm just looking at them now going, God, did it just have, did he have one in them? Like, did he have a 90 minute nightmare in them, either here? Or in the next game that does them. Yeah, you want to play Astro after we record this. This is a nightmare. It's 40 kilometers in our wind outside, Dan. I was just looking at the Limerick weather. This is but Johnny, this is... let's let's be honest, right? Let's be honest. Um there's a certain weakness in your character when it comes to uh, and I wasn't even playing first, the game anyway. There you go. See, but well, you wouldn't get promoted. This is no. the thing. This is why you you'd be a solid first division operator, but when it comes down to it, I'm looking that. at the weather out there. It's dreadful. Yeah. Don't uh, and I'm by no means a physical footballer, but I'm looking at that going, I can't wait to go out and play in those conditions. Because you have to want it on a Wednesday, not just on a Saturday in the sunshine. And like you're a little bit of a sunshine person, sunshine footballer. Yeah. Um and like do you support a club that's that's that that way inclined or not? I mean, let's find out. Yeah, this this is it. Um, now so that game is Friday, and next Friday, um, I've actually called my birthday off, but it could be a, a good thing because I think you know I don't know we could well be. You fancy Galway? I can feel their confidence level are just yeah. are just creeping up again, are they? Yeah, well they are. I mean, like it's you take every game, take every day at a time, Dan, and take every game at a time. It's a one-off game in a neutral venue. Uh, could be messy, yeah. Who knows? It could be closer to 50 50 than we think. 50 50 battle for our third place is over, Dan. The dog got the will job. You go, will, you, will, will you go if it rains? 
Yeah, I will go. I'll, I'll um, God, I'll be in the market field. Probably doing Colcom for Galway Bay FM. Oh, okay, okay. But as I said, yeah, the, 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 I mean, we are talking about Waterford Galway because sadly, um, we've got the Jerk Gardens Shamrock Rovers game on Thursday, and we'll speak a little bit about that later on. Um, we've got the Waterford Galway game on Friday, and then we have this really bizarre situation where there's literally nothing at stake in the last round of games of the Premier Division. Okay, the dog can finish second if they beat Derry by a number of goals. Yeah, nothing. There's a, little, nothing at there's a small bit of prize money there, but it doesn't really get you anything. You know, it's and it's sort of, um, you know, it's it's not really a thing that's going to be headline news anywhere. And I mean, we've had this like season where, like, until a couple of weeks ago, like, you had all sorts of things at stake, and we've come to this really flat conclusion, which is um, a little bit disappointing because I was convinced between. Okay, the title race that, that wasn't, but you still have the consolation of thinking, well, the race for third will go to the last day or the race for the bottom. And then last Friday, it was just all sinking. And I must say... <laughs> you mentioned the title like, race, right? I So I went to the game in Galway, went to the bar in Terryland afterwards. It was Everyone was in great form. Went out to town and watched an Oasis tribute act in Monroe's or in Sinead, rather, in Sinead, in Roisin Dove, right? Literally completely forgot about the Rovers Derry game. So I woke up the next day and I actually didn't even know what the score was. It was like I didn't even I couldn't even remember the game was on. Now that might strike at something else, but like that's how damp it was that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, the Rovers like they showed up and I actually really fancied Derry to win the game. I just thought mm. Rovers, considering it was a, a patchwork team that they had in the second half on Thursday, um, you know, they were really sort of um you know, like Sean Hoare and, and Sean Kavanagh in midfield, who Kavanagh thought was excellent for someone who hasn't played a huge amount. Um, you know, would they play Ferruja three times in a week, you know, given? But he's now suddenly, he's been sort of revitalised and is definitely in the Ireland shake-up now uh, for, for later in the month. Um, you think so, yeah? Yeah, but I think I think you just thought that, I think it was a few injuries, he could well end up in that squad. Um, but I, I think that there's, there's a... There was a sense that yeah, listen, Derry will want to lay down a marker, and that Rovers, with Thursday in mind, uh, which is now where they can get points and and money and so on, they, they they were getting the trophy, but it was completely different. They 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 had the full house. They didn't want to like just roll over, mm. um, and they delivered. Yeah, those amazing scenes with Josh Bradley afterwards. If you're if that didn't make you emotional, you're sort of configured. A, a, you're configured in a very very controlled way, and because I certainly found it quite emotional. Um, watching him front and centre and that um, and Rovers didn't want to disappoint on the night and they didn't disappoint but this brings us round to the fact that yes we have very little to talk about as regards this against game now I thought that Dundalk and Pats would be the, the the one that would go all the way with the way Pats were winning and I mean it must be said that there was a huge element of refereeing issues in Both in last things. night's games in last Friday's games partly part, probably um, like the, the dreadful decision for a foul that wasn't on Ryan O'Kane before McMillan sticks one in. I mean, Dundalk had been very poor prior to that. And it wasn't that Bowes were particularly good. It was just that Dundalk were, were giving up chances and were vulnerable and were shaky. Stephen O'Donnell said it was the worst home performance of the season. Um, and that McMillan goal just got them out of jail. They scored a second. And as much as they, you know, that, that gave them the insurance. And then you look at the Sligo Rovers Pats game, where it's probably, it was not a penalty, no. but Aidan Keane scores. And I mean, that's it. And I know Pats the week before, um, you know, felt hard done by Intala, although they did deserve to lose the game. Um, I'm sure you could go back across the season for both clubs and probably find decisions. And the Doc have one with Nathan Shepard and Talk earlier on. And 
like you, you can find you or you can find every you can find everything to suit an argument. But when it came to the crunch, there's no doubt that a lot of things did go the dog's way. And the big one obviously was the 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 Sligo points deduction as well, um, which which completely flipped things in their head. But um, there was a mood of celebration in the dog on Friday, and I wanted to catch up with Andy Boyle because um he's coming off the back of a uh, he joined in midway through 2019. He signed on a long-term deal. Um, you know that deal is now at an end. Um, so it's the last sort of big sort of peak six contract. He's someone who's been with the club all the way back to 20, well 2013. He had that little time in England and Scotland. Um, but I just wanted to get his emotions after the game as someone who's lived through, I suppose, the roller coaster of the last couple of years of the club. Um, and here's what he said as uh, players were walking past with this, with the odd bottle of beer in their hand in a little bit of a party vibe. Yeah, so Andy, how are you feeling? What's it, I don't know, is it relief the feeling or what's your emotion? Yeah, to be fair, it feels like a good achievement, I think. Obviously the scenes like that, it's like reminiscence of, uh, of winning leagues and stuff like that. I think, uh, the, to be fair, the Gabber said before the game that it'd be right up there with the, the lads that have been through league title wins and obviously Europa League group stars that from where we came from at the, at the start of the season, back end of December. Um, listen, it is a good achievement, to be fair. What's the feeling been like in the group the last, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? I suppose you lost 3-0 in Tala that night where title talk was the mood. And then in the last couple of weeks, I suppose you lose the Pats here, the injury time. And it, the, the mood probably flips towards third. Like, what's the, the mood been like around the club? Yeah, right? it's, it's a difficult one, obviously. We, we talk probably... Until in around the, the Tala game and the, that we were right in the Tala Challenge, which, which we were, I think, we, which you could see. Um, obviously, the, the, the squad was tight. Um, we, we needed to be fortunate enough in the, in the injuries that we, we had throughout the season. We, I suppose we didn't need any injuries mm. throughout the season. But I think, as I said, there, it, is, it is a good achievement. You look back and to be back in European football from probably the state of the club, really. Mm. Um, Last last December, whatever it was, um, it, it is good achievement. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it was this week last year, um, in a couple of days' time, uh, I think it was the night Daniel Cleary scored up and draw it, the 93rd yes, minute. And I think that was the night that the, the takeover sort of happened, or I think yeah, that's when yeah, it all turned. Like, I don't know, for someone who was there through it all. Probably that last season as a whole was, was, was quite difficult around the place. It was. Not the feeling that you, you probably would have associated with the dog of, of, of past. But uh, this year, like, listen, the gaffer and our staff came in and they, they've galvanised the club. It's, uh, it's a good place to be. Listen, there's, there's massive demands. I think the demands that come from the, the gaffer and the coaching staff are, as you've probably seen the gaffer play as a player, mm. <laughs> they listen, they're high. And, but like, that's good. That drives people on. You see the, the, the young lads that come on loan. And, I'd like to think after a full season that, that they've, they've improved and they go back to the parent clubs, better players. But uh, now, um, it's one that I think that some of, come from where we, where we were in December, January, it is championships. Like how are you feeling? Because even last season you played through the pain barrier a lot of times when yeah. there was players missing. And this, this year you've, uh, you've sort of been not, not far off ever present either, I don't think. Like you've sort of been soldier through it all. Yeah, uh, obviously I had a... Uh, the issue last year that I played, I played too. Probably got started in the December time. Went to London, got got an up done, and um, was touching out to make the season. And uh, now since then, I've I've been fit and available. Obviously, got the, the two the two sending offs, mm. one silly enough, obviously, and um, been there the games. I missed probably the, the two suspensions, but it's it's about the team tonight, and it's um, 
I just keep going back to it. It really is a great achievement. Yeah, is it nice just to have a couple of those moments in the dressing room or on the pitch after? Again, yeah. knowing where you've come from, where people even thought would this club be back to Europe when the way things were going there? For yeah, a while? I think obviously at the, at the start of the season. I don't know where we were tipped to be, but I wouldn't think too many people would have thought we had would amount to the title challenge to to August or obviously probably finishing the European mm. spot. So no, listen, that, that's that's great for us it's to, to finish where we finished, and um, it's annoying that we can go go enjoy. You're seeing that the scenes out there, the fans are back on side. I think all that adds to Aura being a, a tough place to, yeah. to come, and I think that was one of the one of the things we, we mentioned as a group was making actually people come to Oriel <laughs> that. Um, that was a difficult place to come. And I think in the past, our successful teams always has been that, and we probably got away from that maybe over the, the, the couple yeah. of seasons previous. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not to go over, but like this time last year, there was fans protesting outside the ground and yeah. closed doors days, you know, yeah. and, and such a weird time, I'd say, for again, I keep coming back to the ones who were there through the good times. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. We've went from such a high as a club, obviously, winning leagues and I was competing in Europe and group stages, and to to kind of falling off we weren't good enough especially yeah. last season I think even when they got back to that draw the game we were probably did not guarantee us survival or, I think or, it was, yeah, or something like that, that. Yeah. I mean, which is, you wouldn't associate with the dark team of, of our area um, but yeah so <laughs> the low times at the highs are the, the highs are a bit higher aren't they just fine and I hate this but it is that time of the year like your contract is up you didn't have that feeling you haven't had that feeling in a while it's a very familiar one in the league yeah, yeah. where's your head at with it like where do you, you think Alice. you're going to be here next year Alice, and we, I, was, I think the plan was obviously to, to get where we finish in the league and hopefully get a pin spot guaranteed and, and we go from there I, I love them back um, it's the only club I really wanted to come back to when I was leaving the UK and listen they'll have me I'd love to be here I didn't get the feeling Dan that He's that confident about a new contract now. Maybe I'm calling the room wrong. I am. Um, I. 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 I don't know. The dark have been strange this season in that they had that great kind of. I don't know, like middle to two thirds part of the season where they were briefly in the title race, but then towards the end they, you know, there was criticism of the high line and all that. And Connolly left essentially, and once Connolly left, they they weren't that great at all. But they sort of limped over the line. Didn't look that great defensively. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think a couple of the dog fans didn't like me saying they limped over the line, but they did, you know, and that's, that's people at the club would say that. Um, the buy one is is one of those interesting contract interesting uh, contract things whereby, um, look, he he would be on a very good wage because he, he he was signed in 2019 when they were the best players in the country mm. on a certain deal. And like I suppose no one in their job would ever like a pay cut or the negotiation that feels like a pay cut, yet... It's very possible that that's, you know, to stay, that's probably what would be on the table. I just can't see him getting the same deal that he would have got um, when he arrived back from from the UK as like, um, you know, with, with the certain, I suppose, bargaining power he would have had at that stage. So, um, you know, there's, there's probably a few of them there like that have been a part of a sort of a golden era. What's uh, their next, contractual next. kind of situation? Because you were saying like Rovers have nearly everyone under contract, give or take. Obviously, Manus, Green, and so on. What's Dundalk's? I love when you interrupt me mid sentence. Um, like there's a few of them there that would have been part of the the, the golden era under mm-hmm. O'Donnell, um, whose deals would now be up, um, and therefore, um, like O'Donnell will face a decision on probably the future of of, of people who would have been pals. You know, so Boyle would obviously be up. 
Brian Gartland, um, you know, I suppose people would question what he's whether he's going to play on, but mm. it seems to be signings that he might. Um, but his deal will be up, having not played. Dave McMillan's deal will be up. Um, he was the player who O'Donnell was being asked about when he sort of had that little bit of a dig at Pats about how um, you know I don't see them announcing a load of load of signings um, this season. Um, when the issue they had apparently last year was that he was the one who wanted to leave it till the end of the season. Now people at Pats would argue they've quite a few players signed up, but but anyway, <laughs> um, this is the this is the back and forth that that, that continues, but. Um, they, they, they like Huben's under contract, Sloggett's under contract, Daniel Kelly's under contract. They signed uh, long-term deals or longer-term deals. Brian O'Kane with that new deal as well. Mm-hmm. Alfie Lewis joined mid-season. He's he's on a longer-term deal. Um, there's a couple of others. The likes of Paul Doyle and John Martin. I see that the Argus have mentioned that they're staying on. I thought they'd signed one-year deals, but maybe it was one and one, um, or maybe they're just longer-term arrangements. But I thought there might have been um, an element of doubt over Doyle and Martin. I have to say. Uh, so I don't know how they address them subsequently. Nate and Shepard, they have the club have an option that they're going to activate. So he's staying. And then they have a lot of um players on loan. Now I might be forgetting another one who's 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 signed up, but like Daryl Lee, he will be out of contract. Um uh, for example, um, you know, Benson always does it year on year, Keith Ward. Um so you're talking about, you know, and then like the likes I said, Bradley's on loan, Helga's on loan, McCarry's on loan. So they're gone basically. Um, unless for some reason their clubs are willing to do a longer deal, so um, they have a fair bit of restructuring. You would you would think um, ahead well, of them. Is it celebratory um, after the on Friday night? Oh yeah, big time. I mean, they they uh, uh, the the only thing that was a little bit anticlimactic about it was that the Sligo Rovers Pats game was heavily delayed, so mm. they weren't able to full time whistle to announce they're in Europe. But there was a banner like the, the fans had done up a banner to sort of replicate. Uh, how a team's name looks when they're drawn out of the, that, yeah. the draw, and uh, no, there was, and there was certainly a real vibe of, um, you know, I think the owners were there and everyone was there, sort of having a couple of drinks, and that sense of relief, that sense of okay, this is the first step, um, and that gives them a platform because the, the one thing to remember about them is that the dogs still retain a pretty high seeding in the conference league, and while that, while that doesn't guarantee you anything, it gives you a much better chance of a. Of a good draw in the first round, and they'd actually be be seated in the second round. So if yeah, a couple of point, things yeah. went their way, like they could be on the way to that eight hundred and fifty grand that Sligo Rovers got this year. Um, now, I, I mean, you can get really good teams from Scandinavia in that, you know, who haven't been in Europe in a couple of years in that Conference League early, but still, um, they're in a good place. But um, Taylor's not a good place. Taylor's not a good place this week. Um, it's me after my shambolic and I have to step forward and say that last week's Porthouse Brew quiz um, my position is going to have to come under scrutiny uh, after uh, an error with the question um, because I spoke about can people name the player from the Shamrock Rovers 1987 4-0 winning side who subsequently won the Premier Division of the League of Ireland as a manager um, and I said it's something about this person he couldn't confuse them with anyone and I was referring to in my head, to be honest, I can't pretend I had this all sussed. It was Paul Doolan. Yes. Um, and people did some detective. A lot of people got Paul Doolan. But Justin Mason, Shamrock Overson, he replied with just Pat Byrne. And of course, I just had a complete blind spot um, born out of just sort of age-related ignorance that uh, Pat Byrne did during his time as Shelburne manager. It was a member of the 4 row team. Uh, he won the league with Shelburne in 1992. 
as a Premier Division winning as a Premier Division winning manager, having been a member of the Ford Row squad. So there was actually two right answers. So this week's winner is actually Jason Maloney, who contacted us because he was the only person who contacted us to say that there was two answers. Wow. Um, that we were wrong, and uh, that it was both Pat Byrne and Paul Doolan from that four row team did win. Um, so I think Jason for that um, gets the bruise, and to everyone who gets Doolan, uh, probably all the other two lads a point. Maybe, maybe Joe's you're on a point. Uh, I mean, listen, you mentioned him, you mentioned him enough in the show, Johnny. You yeah. can just see him in the flesh and uh, and sort it out. Uh, you haven't mentioned a stag at at least three shows. Yes, sir. You, do you, um, you have a bar at a ground in the League of Ireland where a beer you actually named is for sale? You know, so. No, no, no. But anyway, um, this week, the, this week's question is: I mean, you can find this on Google very easily, folks. You know, you can you can guess this, but 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 at least give yourself a couple of minutes to see if you can figure it out without needing to do that, right? Um, and the question is: Shamrock Rovers, twenty times league winners, clearly the most successful club in terms of Premier Division standing, um, in the country. But can people tell us? Can they text us, LOI Instagram, LOI Central Pod on Instagram and Twitter, get your answers in. Which club holds the record for the most League of Ireland First Division titles? Um, which club has won more First Divisions than any other? Um, get your question into us. Uh, it's the, it's the honour that you don't want. Um, <laughs> Somehow Galway United, like, I, I haven't even seen us win the First Division, like, so... I know, uh... I mean, okay, clue, it's not Galway United. It's not Galway United, that's the clue. Pound for um, pound, we're, we're a solid First Division team. Um, aside from that, you just, you just don't win it. The, but uh, let's, move on to the, let's move on quickly the ma- to the mail. The mailbag, let's go to the mailbag. What's that you say? It's mailbag time? A big bag of electronic... Letters? Dan, I want to start with one here um, from Shane Smullen, which was actually sent to my, my private Instagram account, which I uh, try to, uh, you know, stick to other matters other than the League of Ireland. No, that wasn't the case, actually. So Time and dinners. Time and, and dinners. dinners. Question for the podcast. I think the playoffs should be the four teams from the first division and should be no playoff with the ninth place team. They had their chance. What do you think? Now, um... I, uh, I've i mixed views in the playoffs. I think it's great to keep things interesting in the first division, but if you have the majority of the teams, as was the case this year, ended up in the playoffs five out of nine, that's not right. And I do wonder, should it be a second, third, and fourth, and the second last team uh, in the Premier Division, they go into uh, two semifinals and a final. So four teams, and the team, which will be UC this year, has to win two teams to stay up, just like going I would have to win two teams to go up. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I do yeah. like the idea of the playoffs in general. Yeah, I think an elongated system like that at the end of the season just makes the season longer with the nine-place team. I think there's no doubt that contract lengths and, and season lengths comes into it. Like if, if Waterford had got to the cup final this year, it would have made things a little bit complicated as well. So if you talk about an extra series involving a nine-place team, I don't think you can relegate 20% of your Premier Division when you're trying to move towards a more um, full-time... Uh, model now you may end up doing that but I think giving the ninth place team a chance to stay up probably is the way to go to be honest I, I don't really have much problem I take your point about though should the first division be extended to fifth I, I do see where you're coming from with that but um, like, I really think the third know, tier is going to be uh, very important as well in general in the overall scheme of things if that ever happens yeah like should it just be um I don't know. Yeah, there's actually no, there's no perfect answer to it. Like, the, obviously, there's been little tweaks. The fact that it's neutral this week, there was a bit of commentary about that. Should a team get home advantage? But 
I mean, it works out fine this season because Waterford and Galway were neck and neck. Obviously, if you had a clear second place team, like miles clear of third, would they feel like they should get home advantage for that? And I, and I, I, I do appreciate all those points, but um, yeah, I, I can recognise that. Someone made a comment about Dundalk. Any plans to answer with their pitch? I don't, I'm not sure if anything's really happening with their ground at the moment. Um, kind of wonder a lot of people looking at what Loud GEA did with that immigrant investor scheme and are they making inquiries? If they're not, they should be. Um, yeah, a few references about refereeing standards uh, in the context of that. Julian Canny, regular, uh, a driver of yours, not to mention a regular listener. Um, like he is a long comment, you know, are there better referees in the Leinster Senior League? You know, pointing out that, you know, there's professional referees in, in the UK. Is it fair to compare it to here? I I I I see that point, but I'm not sure when you when you when it comes back to like um explaining like some terrible decisions, you would assume that there's some of the basics of refereeing, and it's not a case of well, if he'd been training uh more this week, would he have seen that happen? Like you know, being full time, yes, you, you might have a better grasp of the rules, and you you know your your conditioning should possibly be better. But I'm not sure if these are the main complaints that come back about leagues. It's just pure bad decision making and also communication um, between protagonists and players is yeah. a consistent complaint. And I suppose, yeah, you could maybe, I mean, you could spend time working on that if you're a full time, maybe. But really, these are basic skills. I, I think the point about the, the, the depth of talent is something I've touched on. I tried to do a piece in this last year. There has been a little bit of a talent drain um, for various reasons in the last couple of years. I'm not sure, like you know, for various reasons, they don't seem to be getting uh, new through onto the panel of a certain standard. But, I mean, there still is an incentive for our referees here to be the best they can be because they can do what Alan Kelly did, go on to the European stage, the global stage. And I'm not sure if our guys are majorly knocking on the door for that at the moment, whereas there are part-time referees from other countries who are getting big European games because, um, you know, they're perceived to be very good. So, like, I... I I, I hate. I, I don't. I don't think. I think it's just too easy to come on and just bash referees, and that's the most boring and predictable thing to do. But in saying that, there's been an unfortunate spate of particularly bad decisions in the last couple of weeks, um, which which raise questions. And you kind of wonder, even internally in the referee in circles too. You do hear the odd mumble and grumble, like about who's been appointed for certain games and stuff like that. Yes. There's a natural competition competition and rivalry there and maybe they sometimes might feel that the best referees aren't being showcased they definitely well. do they definitely so, do so um that that's clearly uh another aspect to that debate so there's probably a lot more to it uh ender malloy asked about aiden keener um he references the story i mentioned earlier about the release clauses um what valuation would you put on him given he has another couple of years in his contract and proven he can score in europe that's actually quite a, that's a good question you see people in the Irish League, wasn't there a player in the Irish League and moved for around 100 grand? Like, I think, like, um, if he's under contract, I mean, you certainly, within a League of Ireland context, you can't be looking for big money from another league club for a player whose deal is up at the end of the year. Mm. That just got two more years left on it. Well, say Aidan Keener could easily be the difference in getting into Europe and not, for example, or easily be the difference in potentially. But well, I mean, well, in theory, that's quarter of a million. You know, mm. like, uh, that's the difference between third and fourth. But I don't know. Like you, you see, good players leave the league for 150. Like, would 150 grand be that unreasonable a demand? Would it be crazy to pay it? You know, they also know Sean McGrovers have the money. Like, so it's it also depends on like 
if, when Liverpool they won 166 Celtic, grand last Thursday yeah, it's like you Liverpool know Liverpool Celtic team go for whatever season. amount of money then yeah. they're kind of hemorrhaged by the fact that like so it depends on what money you have Sligo Rovers will know that Sean Corvers have plenty of money not really in a rush to sell them so yeah it would be an it would be an interesting poll yeah i mean the thing about it is is that people talk about redistributing money from Europe and <laughs> like trickle down you know, economic economics like if, if, you know if is it, it would it be such a bad thing if transfer fees were introduced between league clubs yes it obviously asserts the dominance of a club at the top who can then take who they want and then they win more leagues and that's not healthy but um, you know we're, we're obviously affronted by good players leaving the league for nothing you know if, if 150 grand is going into another club in the league I'm picking that random figure I'm not sure if it'll even go to that if things will get to that I'm just I'm picking that as an example but let's just say someone paid 150 grand for a player to slide a Rovers that goes into their budget or whatever you know but, but you're, you're just always conscious of, of inflation and inflation just taking off to a point where we end up back in the, in the 2000s as well you know because what wages do you have to pay a player who comes with that fee if the club are willing to pay that amount well then clearly they're going to want parity with some of the higher earners of the club and then you know this is this is why it doesn't happen that often like you do have, you do have money paid as compensation for uh under 23 players like but it's generally based on one year salary they're changing that now so you generally you're talking about a league where players might only be earning 18 20 25 30 40 grand a year um so it's a big jump to start talking about six figure sums but um, Aiden Keane is worth six figures. I, I I think like I don't think it's it's unreasonable at all to talk in those Absolutely. terms. You know, um, I don't think it's reasonable. It's just a culture that we don't have this culture of fees. Um, and what like, did, to be what fair, did Promise go for when he went? It doesn't matter that he went England. Like he wasn't worth any. Aiden Keane is worth more than Promise. I know, I know. But I mean, I, and again, like do you, do you, it's a question of do you think there's sell-on value with him? Like, mm, can he get a clause? Mm. But how much really realistic would Rovers get in England for? You know, for, you know, from England or Scotland form. There's a lot of equations to it, but um, um, yeah, I think um, we'll see. We've own Riviera here, who's who's is like yourself, Johnny. He's a Galway fan. who's more confident about Galway doing well. Um, so that's um, yeah, we'll see. Um, a couple of references to Jimmy Lyons. How does Tallis Stadium always look so empty when it's sold out? Well, the thing about it is, is they. I mean, I think that's a slight exaggeration. It did look pretty full. And I was watching the TV on Sunday. But when you have a large number of season ticket holders, they may not always show up every single week. Yeah. But they actually are. You can't sell their tickets. So it is right to say the game is sold out. Similarly, even in some of those European games in the South Stand, you'll see that uh, for whatever, it's the way for regulations, you can't use some of those front row seats. So um, I can understand why people would say this is a bit odd, but there is a, there is an, a, there is a reason behind it. Fergal asking... Um, TG Carr getting great praise for WL NL coverage. Any chance of them taking out away games? I think they've been asked before. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure if we'll see anything happening there. Why, why uh, not because, then? Well, I, I think they would have been interviewed elsewhere. Like, are they willing to just come in and just get the, the dregs that RT don't want, if you know what I mean? Uh, would you want them to take over the entire coverage of the league? I don't know. I still like the league games being on RT when they are. I have to admit, but the, so, the Dregs is a big. The, the Dregs is a big list of good games. Well, yeah, well, are they interested enough that they give a lukewarm response to it before? But they're showing they're women's. Passed. They're showing women's national league, which yeah. is absolutely uh, tiny compared to us. Yeah, but but okay, but just women's football at the moment is growing. It's very good. Mm. Like, TG Carter for their brand have shown that they are, um, they are 
they're willing to promote women's sports, so it sits in with that nicely. It's very good press. But they for them. show every GA game under the sun, like from all corners of the world, and they, I, I can't see why. Okay, you're, you're, you you seem to have confused me with the TG Carter head of sport here. I'm just I'm just I'm just uh, referencing previous interviews where their answers haven't been that convincing. If you want yeah. to get onto them and convince them why they should do it, I have. That's absolutely fine. But I I think. Um, I don't think it's as straightforward as them being 100% convinced that it sits in with what they're doing. Right. Now, like, will they, if they were given the whole thing, like maybe, um, you know, sitting in, taking a couple of games, um, there was nothing stopping them from bidding for European games. There's absolutely nothing to stop yeah. them from doing that. Um, and they haven't done it. So, um, Sky has lost the gas. Well, um, Sky doesn't have a winter. Yeah, but, but, but interestingly, I suppose GA are now moving towards a streaming only model for their stuff. Yeah. And it's like you're obviously involved in, in racing. I know you're, you're working with racing TV and it's, it's a bit of a tangent, but obviously you can see there there's a broader point of like, do you want as many eyeballs to see something or should you just concentrate on a subscriber base yeah. who'll pay? Yeah. And that's the way that a lot of sports are. Club final the other things. day in Gaelic, 15 euro to stream. Club final. 15 euro, nowhere yeah. in the Yeah, but I mean, you, I thought you would have thought that was good value, uh, given your 7 euro uh, argument earlier in the season. Although that party, that party has gone quite well, and I might have to sort of take a bit of a kicking on that. Um, Evan Kilban, how big will Derry go in terms of recruitment next season? They'll go big enough, I'd say. Um, but I, I, like they have players on long-term contracts, so I'd imagine they might be more of a Stephen Kenny winter, where they won't sign loads of players, but they might sign... Uh, some high caliber ones, like you know, goal four or five good ones rather than 10 or 11. Like, I mean, they actually have a lot of the building blocks in place. Um, but yeah, they are, I suppose, the main Ty Corker asked the dock and pass that they have the funds to compete with Terry and Rovers. I think if they go head to head with them for a player, I think they'd find it hard to get them. Mm. Um, unless they were selling it to a young player that you're going to come and play for us and you're going to play, we'll play you every week for our club. Uh, you mightn't get those games and Rovers and Derry and that's probably what Dundalk and uh, Pats and Bows and Sligo Rovers and, and Shells maybe will have to sell to, to players you know look at you can be the next Jack Moylan or you can be the next wherever you know whereas maybe you know if you go to them you you, you won't play um, but in terms of say a, a blue chip player coming up yeah it is going to be hard for them to compete I mean it's there's definitely no avoiding that but yeah I think we're done with the mailbag now and let's go for something a little bit different Sean O'Shea um, a name that's been in the, the headlines in the League of Ireland in recent weeks. Um, and yeah, I, I just, um, I, I, I knew he was in for the Bowes job. Um, his name was in the mix. Uh, he was interviewed a couple of years back in the 42, quite an interesting piece. I just thought, yeah, we'll have a chat with Sean O'Shea and see his thoughts on the League of Ireland and also uh, Swedish football, given that your gardens play Shamrock Rovers this week. Yeah, dialing in from Dubai, Sean O'Shea, you're very welcome to the show, Sean. How are things? Yeah, good. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be on that. Yeah, great to be Yeah, here. so you, you were mentioned recently as a candidate for the, the Bose job, and we, we will talk about that briefly. But um, in in the course of that, like your background came up, it was discussed, and you're you're obviously born in, in Huddersfield to Irish parents. Um, you've, yeah. you've sort of worked around the, the coaching game and we'll talk a little bit about that too but I suppose the headline thing was you spent time in Sweden working with AIK as an, a, an assistant coach so from your knowledge of the Swedish game um, are you surprised that your gardens have, have turned out to be the best team in this group I mean they have streaked away with Shamrock Rovers your Europa League group when they actually started it as the fourth seeds 
Yeah, I mean, look, as, as much from my AIK background, as much as it pains me to say it about Ugarn, because they were our biggest rival, both in Stockholm clubs, they've done fantastically well. I mean, um, they've got a great sports director, Ossie uh, Boo Anderson. Uh, they've got two very good managers in uh, Kim and Thomas, who are both AIK legends, believe it or not, and they're now hated by AIK because they're the managers of the biggest rivals. Um, but it's not really surprising, I suppose. They, they, they've always recruited very well. Um, they won the league the first or the second season that I was in Sweden. They just they've just never actually managed to get over the line and be continuously successful for whatever reason that might be. Like in terms of the derbies that we played, I think they've only beaten us once in the last ten years, which is is, is an astonishing statistic. But um, I'm not surprised they've done well this year. I think it's a tough group in in some ways, but they've got a strong team. They've recruited very well. Obviously, they got Bengtsson in from Copenhagen. They brought Danielson back from China, who are both Swedish internationals. They've got Magnus Eriksson, who's the captain. Radatinic, Ekdal. Uh, they signed Edvardsson, who was playing for a um, lower division club. Degafors, they brought him in. He scored nine goals this year. They've been quite consistent in how they played. They've got quite a clear sort of game model. The managers have implemented that quite well. So it's not really a surprise that they've done well, as much like I say, as it pains me to say it. Um, they struggle on grass, which I think is why they drew with Rovers when they came over. I think difficult time of the season when they were pushing to to win the league in Sweden. But they've always seemed to struggle when they make that transition to to playing on grass. And, you know, coming over to a League of Ireland club, I think obviously the league in Sweden is, is ranked higher than Ireland. But I think Ireland, the Irish League or the League of Ireland has always been underestimated for the for the quality of the players that it has in the standard of football. And I think it's always a shock to the system. We we played Rovers a few years ago in Europe um, and just narrowly got through. So um, it'll be a tough game for them, definitely. And obviously, Rovers will be really buoyed after winning the league uh, last week. So it'll be an interesting time. But they've you know, done really well to be top of the league and be going through. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they would, they would only have been bottom seeds because they haven't been in Europe as regularly as exactly. some of the other clubs. Which I mean, I see Hacken have won the league. Like it seems to me that, um, like the, the I don't know, some leagues in Europe are dominated by one club, you know, and there's a sort of a, uh, you know, one club is 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 qualifying for Europe regularly. But it yeah. does seem in that neck of the woods that it's very competitive, and that actually, like, you yeah. can have a title race with multiple teams involved, which probably points to a certain strength that does exist. I mean, what was your impressions of Swedish football while working there? Generally. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I think about the first season that I was there. We'd won the league 2018. I came in late that season. And then 2019, we actually finished fourth. But with two games to go, there was four teams that could win the league. So you're right. I mean, look, Malmo have had a bit of a monopoly in terms of winning the league over the last kind of 10 years. They've, they've won it. If, if they haven't won it every year, they've won it kind of every other year. And that's dropped off now because... Uh, John Dal Tomlinson left and obviously went to Blackburn uh, and a few of the players or key players that they had like Chorlak and uh, Anel Agmud-Hosic, he left as well. Um, but my impression of it, I was really impressed with it. I think I'd, I'd spent time in Norway 10 years ago uh, sort of playing in lower level and coaching in the in the first division. So I knew kind of what Scandinavian football was all about. I think the Danish league is obviously the strongest, followed by Sweden and then Norway after that. But um Look, they, they produce good players. They, they they do sport very well in Sweden, both for male and female. Um, so it isn't a surprise that they produce good players. I mean, you look at Alexander Isak, you look at Zlatan, you look at Seb Larsson, Mickey Lustig. There's a whole host of, of great Swedish players that have kind of come through the youth of Swedish football where you get your key fundamental development before they've gone off to, to European clubs. Um, and, it, and it does swing a little bit. So, you know, recruitment is key. Um, the way it works in Sweden, of course, with academy football is that you play for the club 
where you're born or within a certain radius of where you're from until you become of a certain age. So if you get a really good year group in your academy in your particular city or your particular club or area, that can end up, you know, paying dividends if you get those players into the first team and keeping holding before inevitably, you know, the top players go off into into Europe and, and elsewhere. But um, I was really impressed with it, um, you know, going in there, of course, you know Malmo, you know Gothenburg, you know Ugar, you know Hammerby, but you don't know about your or a bruise and clubs like that. Um, and Ostersundu came out of nowhere with Graham Potter, for example. Um, but really impressively, you know, it's very similar. I think Swedish coaches are quite stubborn in the ways I found. They're all educated in the same way and they all follow the way that the first team or the senior team, um, the Swedish national team played primarily. If you had foreign that, managers. That's very interesting, Sean. Yes, they, that's their, their philosophy almost like uh, overseas, how they look from the, north, from the national side of things. like. Mm. Yeah, well, that was it. I mean, like they, they kind of spoke the same language. I don't mean Swedish, obviously. I mean same football language and terminologies. Mm. Kind of played the same way in the way that they were educated, and you could you could really see that. And it was only the foreign managers or the managers who dared to be a little bit different that would that would go against the norm. So you're coming up at, against teams who played a very similar style of football quite a lot. What was that style? Well, a lot of it was kind of four four two. You know, with traditional two forward players, two wide players. And try and get the ball out wide into the box, for example. But then Malmo would play with a back three, or they would rotate and play maybe a four-two-three-one. We played with the back five, back three, and then went to four-three-three because we were a little bit more adventurous. But it was quite quite direct. I think tactically, teams are very good and very good at closing you out. But um, it was it was quite direct football that you were coming up against. Yeah. So, so Sean, just to, I mean, like to, you would have come on to, again to a lot of people's radar in Ireland when you were linked with the. The Bohemian's job. I don't think it's a secret to say yeah. you were in for the job. No, no, um, no. So I suppose, I mean, this is a bit like an interview itself. You know, tell us a bit about yourself in the sense of like, <laughs> you know, what 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 got you to a position um, to think, okay, this is a job I'd like to do. This is a job I I can do. You know, and and how did this come up? Because I'd be sort of aware of your background, like you know, and, and you've done some of your badges in Ireland and stuff. But maybe a lot of people listening may not be. So yeah. how did you come into this? into the frame for this job? Well, I think it was just that sort of natural career progression of, you know, starting out as a young coach and going through all the age groups of academy football in England and a little bit in Norway as well. Um, and then I, I suppose it all kind of escalated about eight or nine years ago. I got a job in Dubai, funnily enough, when I was here before, as head of football working for the Crown Prince. And he has his own private sport complex. And his, his idea with this was to get the best teams and the best players in the world training and working there. So... To cut a long story short, I ended up working with some of the best teams in the world and some of the best players as an individual coach. And AIK used to come here um, on training camps in the winter for their pre-season. And I built a relationship with them over a period of time. And that, that got me the, the job with AIK. And that was the next you know, natural progression, I guess, to be a, a first-team coach because I'd done all the other roles up to under-21s, assistant coach and, and first-team uh, lead coach, if you like. And so I got the assistant manager's job with AIK and... Had that for just over three years. Did the pro license in Ireland whilst I was still in Sweden. Just finished that now. And and as my contract finished in Sweden, to be honest, if I've been really honest, I probably would have stayed for another year because last year we finished joint top of the league with Malmo in terms of points. And we lost the league on goal difference, which was really hard to take. I mean, Malmo were in the Champions League group stages. Their budget was probably four or five times higher than us. So it was a really good achievement. And we felt as a staff that we were in a really good place. But look, Football's football. The club made a decision with a new technical director coming in that they wanted to get rid of uh, staff whose contracts were finishing and they would promote from 
the academy. That was also a, a cost-saving exercise because of COVID, because obviously every industry suffered during COVID. So it came to a very quick end with AIK. And I found myself, you know, in November last year with, with obviously with, without a job. Um, and it was, okay, what do I do now? Do I continue to be an assistant coach or do I feel like I'm ready to be a head coach? And I think with the experience that I had, you know, we won the league in 2018. We had Champions League experience, Europa League experience, and I worked under a couple of managers, finished the pro license. So I had the education and the experience to do so. I was also the caretaker manager at AIK for a couple of games when the manager wasn't there, won both of those games. So that was a good confidence booster. And, you know, you develop, you're constantly developing in football and you develop your own ideas and how you'd like to work and you see how other people do things. So nothing came and grabbed me straight away. Uh, when I left AIK so we just had a baby with, uh, with my wife me and my wife just had a baby and um, she'd followed me around the last few jobs and she said look if you don't get anything that, that really grabs you you know can we go back to Dubai or go somewhere you know more familiar to us until that comes along and I said yes so that's how we ended up you know back in Dubai Um I came back here as director of football for an academy I do media stuff and, and TV for the local league so I'm heavily invested in watching the, the local league here and I'm back doing individual work for pros when they, when they come over here on, on breaks. Um, and it's just about finding the right job. You know, I don't believe every player suits every club and similarly, I don't believe every coach suits every club. So I'm not the coach, the kind of coach who's applying for every single job. So to bring it round to the Bose job, I think it was a really interesting one because I think, first of all, you, when you're going to take that first step of being a head coach for the first time, you're not guaranteed to succeed, but you want to make sure you set yourself up in a way that you're not guaranteed to fail either. And I think looking at the club in terms of the infrastructure, obviously they have um, DCU where they can have the training and that's a good facility. So straight away, you've got good training facilities to use. The way in which the club is set up in terms of the, the members owned, a way which I was familiar um, at AIK, is very good because you've got good home support. Um the development of Daily Mount that's obviously gone on for a couple of years, but hopefully will, will happen. Um, with the manager Keith being there for such a long time, you know, he obviously, not, not to sound disrespectful, didn't win anything, but he had a very successful period in terms of taking the club from the brink of, of administration to back to competing, you know, cup final last year, European nights, etc. And it was quite a long tenure. Um, and looking at it, I thought maybe the club are ready for a bit of a fresh start. The infrastructure is good. They've got some decent players. You would imagine that some of those players are probably going to leave due to the season that they've had. Um, so it just looked quite appealing. Um, and so I went for it because um, I thought that that could be something that, you know, it was was of interest. And I said to the guys on the first chat when I spoke to them, you know, as I said before, you don't know if you're suited to every football club. So it's about trying to find common ground with people when you speak to them. So the first conversation was, to find out more about the club. Obviously, I know about the club. I know about the League of Ireland, um, what they do outside of football in terms of the community with with prisons and with older people, et cetera, et cetera. They're quite heavily invested in that and have quite a strong identity with that. Um, and it was to build some kind of relationship and see if it was worth um, taking further. And yeah, obviously, you know, what, what happened happened, but um, and it was disappointing. But um, I think it's a bit of a sleeping giant bohemians with the way it's set up. And I think they've set them, or they have the infrastructure certainly to to be successful and should be doing better than they are doing. I'm ge I guess like, I mean, I don't know what the, you know, what the, why ultimately you didn't get it. I mean, and like, there's obviously, um, there was there was a lot of candidates in the mix and a lot of sort of back and forths and a lot of, you know, um, various stages of the process. But I suppose the natural concern with someone 
from outside the league would be, did you know the league? I mean, do you reckon that was something that possibly, in some ways, a lack of experience in the league might have been something that, that held you back? It's, it's possible, but I, I don't know how relevant it is. And I, and I tried to kind of counteract that when I had the interview process. Um, I think there's a few things connected to this. Look, I know the League of Ireland, I've done all my coaching, or the last two coach educations in Ireland. I've got a good network in terms of knowing League of Ireland managers. I'm good friends with, with people like Steve McPhail, Kieran Kelly, you know, these guys uh, have been for a long time. And with my family and my parents being Irish and living in Ireland down in Mayo, my sister is, is still in Ireland as well. I, I do know it, but I said to him, look, of course, I don't have any direct experience of working in the League of Ireland, but similarly... I didn't have that when I went to Sweden either. Like I knew who our players were, but I couldn't have told you who all the players were for all the other teams in in Alsvenskan. I knew who the key players were. But the way football is now, I think historically there was always that kind of mentality that you need to have been in the league and played in the league and know the league inside out to be able to work in the league. But the way in which you work now in terms of how you scout opponents and you watch football every week. I mean, when I was in Sweden, you watched every single Alsvenskan game when you could you scouted the last three or four games of every opponent. So you learn quite quickly. And the other thing that I put forward was to have staff with me who do know the League of Ireland. So I tried to kind of counterbalance that argument out quite early, if you like, because, yeah, it could be a little bit relevant to some people, but I, I just don't think in modern football that it is. And I think if if you box clever um, and you understand how football works and you have a good assistant or a first-team coach who knows the league very well, then, then you can eradicate that kind of idea or that problem. You kind of had staff lined up then. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like for me, um, you know, football again has evolved, as we all know, a lot. And it's not just about the manager or the head coach, whatever the, the title that you're given. Every single person in the staff is key, you know, from the chef to the doctor, uh, to the assistant coach, first team coach, the goalkeeper coach, everything is intertwined, you know, rehabbing players, diagnosis of injuries, um, you know, having as, as little training days mission as possible for your players, how you periodize your training, how the fitness coach works with the the football coaching side of things and how it's interlinked with strength and conditioning. It's also important. So over the last, you know, however long I've been working in coaching, now you you build relationships with people, you find uh, common ground with people and people that you trust and people that you want to work with and, and you kind of have an idea in your head of, right, if I go into a club, these three or four people are very key that I'm going to bring in with me. Would you be open to the idea of working in Ireland again then? Is it something that, because I'm actually interested, you know, this isn't just about, well, let's talk to someone who's in for the Bowes job. Why didn't he get it? It's more generally, like, it seems like you've reasonably secured employment in Dubai. You know, you have a sort of a good reputation there. You have a good setup there. Um, look, everyone knows man- management is unpredictable. The League of Ireland has a reputation sometimes for, for being reasonably unpredictable but um, there was clearly something about the idea of working there going outside your obvious family links and your own yeah. identity like wh- why did it appeal to you as a league that you were willing to, to dip your toe in the water in if you know what I mean yeah well again it was just about progression I think everyone everyone who's ambitious has has a goal has an ultimate goal of where they want to get to like my ultimate goal is to be the manager of Huddersfield Town like you know, um, I was born and brought up in Huddersfield. I played for the club all the way through academy age, which has been, you know, a scholar. I've coached at the club at academy level. So for me, ultimately, that's where I want to try and get to, is to be the manager of Huddersfield Town. So as as everybody does, you try and plot what that pathway might look like. So for me, going to Sweden was great because it was a good league in Europe with a big club, playing European football, you know, get the pro licence. So you have, you have the um, education that you need. And then it's kind of what's the next step? 
So for me, the way I look at it is like, okay, where do I have a good network? If I look at other people who kind of walk that path, if you look at um, uh, Ian Barraclough, for example, um, yeah. who came over to Sligo Rovers um, and, you know, other managers that have done that, that have gone on to then go over to England and like Cookie, for example, got he's been manager of Wigan, he's been manager of Ipswich Town. You kind of see where that path that other people have taken. You think, right, well, how can I kind of emulate that to get where I want to be? Now, I'm not saying you want to come in and use Ireland as a, as a stepping stone, but it's been done before. And if you could get, or if I could come into League of Ireland for three, four, five years or longer, however long it might take and do a good job, then maybe I can achieve that ultimate goal of getting back to Huddersfield Town because I was kind of on their radar anyway because they knew that I was up in Sweden and I've still got links at the club. But I think to them, I still haven't done enough to get back at, at the level that I want to in terms of the first team. So, yeah, it's just it's just looking at trying to box clever and what will get me there. And I think that seems like a really sensible route to me because it's been done before. I have the network, I have my family there um, and you know, historically players and coaches have gone over to England, you know, and, and done quite well. So that's kind of where the thinking came from, to be honest. Mm. What were your, um, I mean, Stephen McPhail, like, his, his, you obviously encountered him, I suppose, with the AIK Shamrock Rovers time, and he's someone you know from um, your your sort of life in football. I mean, what from the outside, what do you make of what Shamrock Rovers have done as a club? They've now sort of, they've established this model where they do have an academy um, they have a first team. Um, Gavin Bazuna, of course, would have been involved in that sort of uh, yeah. AIK game and has gone on to be a sort of a great sort of, uh, you know, a great a great sort of advertisement for what they do. But, I mean, they, they probably, I don't know, again, from from externally, what do you make of what Rovers have done? Well, I mean, I've been, I've been lucky enough, like, obviously, you can see externally, but I'm lucky enough to be, be in there and spend time with them, have a look at the, the academy and, and what they've done and obviously developing the stadium at Tala. But, for me, like, of course, they've got people involved in the club who have money, which is obviously important to, to, to any club. But it's not like they spend crazy money or pay crazy money on transfers and wages. But what they've done is is the right thing. And like you just talked about there is that they've built an academy and they've built infrastructure. So there is a pathway now from a very young age at Rovers um, and a very clear pathway that if you come in at a young age and, and do well and are trained well, a good, uh, a good training facility with good coaches, that you have the ability to then go on and play for the first team. And that and that's what they have. The infrastructure around the first team is very good. In Steve McPhail, you've got a really good, a really good guy, and he is a really, really good guy. Um, but he's also very experienced and he's very straight talking and he's very straightforward. So in that kind of sports director role that he has, I think he's very good for the owners, very good for the club, and I think he's very good for Stephen Bradley uh, in terms of helping him and, and, and managing managing the sort of team and the training stuff with him. So I think it's a club that you want to emulate. Look, when I was at AIK, as much as you don't want to say that about rival clubs, you know, Copenhagen, probably the biggest club or the most successful club in, in Scandinavia. So I went over there a few times to look at what they were doing because every year they would be either winning the league or, or pushing to win the title. They were qualifying for the group stages of Europe, which is a massive thing for clubs at that level, obviously because of the financial reward. So I think what you've got to do is you've, you've got to look at clubs that are successful and have, um, a really good model and and see how you can kind of not so much copy it but you find your own identity but how you can emulate that and, and build something that's secure and, and a good structure that can carry you forward and give you a continued success Would a McPhail type character be important for you if you were at a club in Ireland I guess that was one of the things about Bose that, that didn't really exist Yeah 
I think so, yeah, because again, like modern day football, there's so many things that need to be taken care of. And, you know, historically, you know, Ferguson's a great example of a manager who ran a football club. Everyone knows about him, so it's easy to, to kind of get that understanding. But now I think head coaches, you need to you need to be coaching. Like you need to be your full focus needs to be on planning training, executing training, scouting opponents, game plans, game model, how you're gonna go out and win the game, how you're gonna recover and go again. All the rest of the stuff is a little bit of a distraction because there's so much going on. And I think it is key now, but I think it's also really important that the roles and responsibilities are clear when you're going to clubs. Because you see it at some clubs where a manager will go in, then all of a sudden they'll recruit a sports director and there could be straight away conflict there and difference of opinion and stuff. And that, that doesn't lead to a healthy working environment. But if you have the right structure and you have a sports director in place or a team manager or whatever the title might be, it alleviates all the other stuff around what a manager, you know, shouldn't, well, not shouldn't focus on, but doesn't have the time to, or doesn't need to focus fully on. It makes a much better working environment. Well, I believe so, anyway. Just, I mean, the, the Karen Kelly you mentioned earlier, like, is is the ex Liger Rovers goalkeeper? Just people listening here remember him from all his penalty saves and in, in the cup yeah. finals. Um, would you sort of, I don't know, did, did that sort of Middle East scene, like, would you encounter a lot of people? I suppose from. The, the UK, the Irish part of the football world. I mean, a lot of them are probably, you mentioned in your own work, I mean, people would have been sort of doing their training camps out there. You would have done stuff, I think it was at Manchester United, I think, or as a few clubs. Like, who would you have? Yeah. Would you, would yeah. you encounter many people from from the, from the that football world in, in your world, if you know what I mean? Um, I mean, not not from Ireland, not not really. Like, I think uh, with Kieran coming over to Qatar, was probably the... Probably, probably the biggest, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. Look, Robbie Keane's been over and, and done things over here. He trained with the club when he left um, when he left the MLS. He came over and he was he was looking into the possibility of, of, of playing over here, maybe because he's, he comes over here on holiday with his family. There, there are, you know, a lot of Irish um, in the UAE, but from a football point of view, not really. But uh, Steve McPhail has obviously been over here with, with his family and we've talked about, you know, It'd be great to get you know teams from Ireland over here doing training camps in pre-season stuff, but that obviously comes down to an affordability thing because mm. um, it is expensive to get over here. But it's a perfect place to come and do um, a training camp because the weather's great, the pitches are great. There are a lot of teams that come here from Europe and, and other parts of the world. So from December through to sort of the end of February, the place is bustling with, with professional footballers and professional teams. And it will be the same again now, especially with the extended break because of the World Cup and because of the World Cup as well. So as you say, like the Bose job, it, it did appeal to you, but are you open-minded to, to something else if it was to come up in Ireland in the in the next year, in the next 18 months? Like if something yeah. if something was to come up, yeah. it, it, you're, you're anxious to sort of give it another try potentially? Yeah, 100%. It was, like I say, you know, there was personal reasons for coming back with, with my wife and my daughter after COVID and she, my wife sort of struggled a little bit because of no one had been able to travel in and I was I was back at work quite quickly after we had the baby. So it was important from a personal point of view that I gave that time back and a break felt like a good thing after AIK because it gives you time to kind of reflect because when you're in the thick of it, you don't really have time to reflect on what's been what's happened and what's gone on and what you would do different in the future. Now, after about two months, I did that reflection and I was itching to get back in and that was eight or nine months ago. So mm. it's just about finding finding the right one. You know, like it's busy here, like I say, with the, with the different roles that I've got. But um, when I left here to go to AIK, I didn't think I would I would be coming back. It's a great place and, and Dubai has served me very well. Um, 
but it's 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 not where I want to be ultimately. Um, so it's just about waiting for the right one to come up. Like I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't be applying for every job that comes up. Um, but if one comes up that I think has has got like a good potential, the right infrastructure around it, and and you have kind of you can find a bit of common ground with the owners or the people that you're speaking to, then I would jump at the chance to, because like I say, it's where, where I want to be and what I want to do, because it's part of the, the big long-term plan. Like, Okay. So that was, that was, uh, that was Sean O'Shea. Um, I mean, he's, uh, I suppose like uh, what uh, people could be thinking that it's a bit, a bit of a random slot in some respects, but I, I just had it in my head. I was like, well, why would someone, why would someone from outside the league who hasn't worked in the league throw their hat into the ring for a job in the league? Like, what's your story? What's your profile? Because I feel like Big weirdo. he's going to be mentioned for, for jobs in the future. Um, I like the because... fact that his ambition is to be the Huddersfield manager. I just like that. It's my hometown club. I have an association with them. I don't want to be necessarily the England manager. I want to be the Huddersfield manager. But, but I think the broader point is that, like... And we, we, I mean, we, we, you, yeah, you have actually spoken as much about the young managers in, in recent weeks and months, but they're getting on. There is, there, there, is, there is definitely a thing whereby, um, you know, the, the, the young players have, have used the league as a gateway in the last couple of years, but you can't underestimate that for younger managers, like, um, jobs are scarce in, in certain markets and they have to be willing to sort of travel, uh, to for their trade see where it can take them. And you can see why the League of Ireland would be attracted. I mean, Stephen Kenny, the fact that Stephen Kenny's got the Ireland job coming from the league. Um, Damien Duff is working there. You know, Richard Dunn was another name that was in for that job. Like, there's no doubt that I think there's um, there's there's people willing to dip their toe in the water here previously would never really have thought about it. Um, and, um, yeah, so we'll see. I, I think there's, I mean, the, the Shamrock Rovers game on Thursday, I mean, it is... Uh, like it is still a proper big game, even though Sure Gardens are true, Shamrock Rovers are true. Um, but it's a sort of a chance for them to finish their year in a little bit of a high. And when did they last score a goal have... away from home in Europe? Like, uh, they would have scored in against Shupi in North Macedonia, of course. But that was the that would be the only European away game that they've scored in this year. Um, in what that would have been one, two. Three, four. This will be their seventh European away game this mm. year, and they've scored in one of them. Um, so yeah, that'll hurt them. And I think they know they need to get better away from home. Um, even as much though, no one likes being told that again and again. The results do speak for themselves to a degree. Um, and yeah, Jerk Gardens are true. They they thought they might have had a chance to win in the Swedish league, but they don't. Uh, just the way the results went at the weekend. So Rovers could have got really lucky here if Jerk Gardens had a title decider at the weekend. They would have been playing their complete B team. I'm not sure what way they will go with it now. Um, they've they've already got the top spot locked up. It's the end of their season. Do they want to give guys a try or do they want to like say, look at us, we've come all the way through qualifying and we're going to take 16 out of 18 in our group. Um, Fun fact: you know, I, they, I I stayed in touch with the brother-in-law of a girlfriend I dated for a year about 12 years ago, and he's a big Azure uh, Gardens fan. So he's basically invited me over for. For the game, he's like, "Come over, stay with me." Just, I well, I mean, you 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 won't go and play Astro ten minutes down the road, so we shouldn't be <laughs> surprised that you're not in Sweden this week either. Um, yeah, I it's mean, a it's a dead rover. I'm looking forward. Right you, 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 the only thing windier than the weather outside is actually you. Yeah, um, okay. But... This, this this weekend's fixtures, obviously, as well. Uh, there's basically that game we're... between going out and Watford. The rest, um... yeah. Like we've got. What have we got? What what could it have been? I mean, 
Derry Dundalk could oh, have wow. been Derry going for the title and the dog trying to get Europe. Pats against Shells could have been Damien Duff trying to stop uh, Pats qualify for Europe with little all the, shells. the Alan Quinn, Tim Clancy, the little <laughs> scraps there's been this season. That could have been that. Eustody Shamrock Rovers could have been Eustody fighting for their lives, trying to derail uh, Rovers winning the title. That could have been special. Draw to Finn Harps could have been, you know, Finn Harps going to another part-time club, surviving, trying to stay up. Keith Cowan probably there for draw to go and, hey, lads, you know, <laughs> Uh, what, what could I have done for you? And what, what's the other game we've got the weekend, Johnny? You must know what the fifth game is. Rovers and someone else, is it? It's uh, we've already done Rovers. Okay. I mean, this is this is totally professional. I haven't um, even looked at the fixtures. That's how much interest they have in the fixtures. You've literally no interest in the game. Well, I mean, have we established all like roads lead to the market field, Dan? Have we established it's like Rovers are playing? Uh, no, Sligo Rovers. They're in Jaleman Park, of course, against Bowes. It could have okay. been an interesting battle for fourth or yeah, something. Yeah, I'm not sure what that could have been, really. I mean, that could have been Keith Long. It could have been, you know, it could have been a very different thing for both clubs at the start of the season. Maybe that was always going to be a dead rubber, and that's why we, it wasn't on our mind. Um, but I suppose both clubs with their with their plans for next year. But we'll be back next week. Seven o'clock Sunday fixtures, by the way. All seven o'clock on Sunday. So we will be back next week. We'll have a... Yeah, we'll have a, the cup final will be on our radar. We'll also have the PFEI shortlist to debate. And who knows, Johnny, you could be talking about a playoff final.